Hello, hello, my friends. Welcome back to Joyful Courage, a conscious parenting podcast where we tease apart the challenges and nuances of parenting through the adolescent years. I am your host, Casey O'Rourke, positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and adolescent lead at Sproutable, where we celebrate not only the growth of children, but also the journey and evolution that we all get to go through as parents. This is a place where we keep it real. Real stories, real parenting. The teen years are real messy and there aren't many right answers. But the more we trust ourselves and trust our teens, the better the outcomes can be. The parenting we talk about over here is relationship-centered. You won't find a lot of talk about punishment, consequences, or rewards. What you will hear is a lot of encouragement about connection, curiosity, and life skill development. Our teens are on their own journey. And while we get to walk next to them for a bit, we don't get to walk for them. Their work is to learn from the tension of their life. Our work is to support them and love them along the way. I'm so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. Hi, listeners. I'm so glad that you're back for today's show. My guest is Anne Louise Lockhart. Dr. Lockhart is a business owner of A New Day Pediatric Psychology in San Antonio, Texas. She's a pediatric psychologist, parent coach, wife of 23 years, and mom of two kids, and has over 16 years of experience in her field. She serves as a parent coach for parents who have kids and teens with behavioral and emotional regulation concerns, those diagnosed with ADHD and anxiety, as well as kids who are highly sensitive. She focuses on helping parents adjust their mindset around parenting. Dr. Lockhart helps overwhelmed parents get on the same page and better understand their kids and teens. For those of you who've been around for a while, you will remember Dr. Lockhart from the Adolescent Mental Health Mini Summit that I hosted way back in the early part of 2020. I'm so glad to have you back. Welcome Thank to the you, podcast. Thank you, Casey. It's great to be back. Yes. I love in your bio that you highlight that you help overwhelmed parents get on the same page and better understand their kids and teens. As the mom of two adolescent children and working with so many people just like you do, The adolescent years can be so overwhelming. And I find that with my work, it's really hard and it's really important to just support parents and being willing to slow things down and remember that there's more going on than just your kid is bad and you need to rein them in by any means necessary, right? Kind of that old model of lay down the law and nip it in the bud. So what has attracted you to working with parents of teens? Because this is a wild ride. (laughs) Yes, it is. Well, I think it's because it's tough. (laughs) It's just a tough time period. And I often compare the teen years, teen rearing years to the toddlers, because they both age groups are really focused on independence and having a voice and doing their own thing, and speaking up, and all these things, and it's draining for parents. And I find that parents just need a lot of support, because the way they're parenting their teens is completely different from the way they were parented, and they're lost. And there aren't a lot of resources for parents of teens out there, and especially when it comes to those very specific issues like ADHD, or depression, or anxiety. So I really just had a desire to really help parents, and help them to better understand 
their teens so that they know that if it's hard, it's because it is hard. Mm-hmm. And doing the same old school stuff is probably not going to be working out very well for you. So let's try something different. Yeah. In my experience, you know, coming into positive discipline early, knowing that there was some conditioning that I wanted to let go of, working it out when the kids were young. For me, it was getting to the teen years and being like, uh, what does this look like? now in this season, right? Like I was able to wrap my head around, you know, that more relationship centered, centering belonging and connection approach, the kind and firm approach that was not necessarily how I was raised. But yeah, once it was like teen time and all the teen things started showing up, I was like, oh my gosh, have I been duped? What have I been doing? Like, what is this supposed to look like? So, and exactly, I felt like where are the resources that are speaking to kind of what I hold to be true, which wasn't, I don't want to slide back into what I experienced, which was a lot of being grounded. I was grounded all the time. (laughs) And it really, all it did was make me think, you know, I got to get better at getting in and out of that window, (laughs) right? Because I don't want to be grounded again. Not like, maybe I shouldn't sneak out. So anyway, do you have parents who are coming to you? Because I know you, you and I share the same philosophy just around like, being in relationship with our kids in a way that supports life skill development versus really leaning heavy on that punishment reward model. So do you see people that are like, okay, I get it, but now I've got teens and they're doing these things. And what does this look like? Yes, I do. I get a lot of those individuals because the hard thing for them is what if they don't see any results? Because they're coming for the instant results. They want to be able to do this so that their teen will listen, not roll their eyes, be better behaved. I'm like, well, that kind of doesn't work that way. Parenting is a long game. It's not like a quick parent hack and things get better. And I think the hardest thing for a lot of parents, especially parents of teens, is when they're doing all the right things, all the things they're supposed to do, Mm -hmm. and they're not seeing any changes. That's the Mm -hmm. hardest thing because... Mm -hmm. Why would you want to do something if you're not seeing any changes? It's like going out and you're working out and you're working with a trainer and then like you still feel unhealthy. You still can't move. Your joints are still crackling. Why would you keep doing it if it's not benefiting you? And I think that's the the hardest part is when it's about building up the relationship. And I see that when I meet with teenagers, because I also do therapy with teenagers. Love that. And I hear from that perspective. And I think that's where I have a really cool experience in being able to hear from them. And they do appreciate, they know when they're being a jerk to their parents and they want to stop. They want to not be that way. But for many reasons, executive functioning, immature brain, because hormones, because a bunch of things, they are just who they are for now, but they do notice, they do recognize that they have to change their ways. And I think it's hard to make those two connections for parents because they're like, well, I'm doing everything right. Yet my teenager is still doing the same thing. And I think it's a hard sell sometimes for them because they're not seeing the immediate results. Yeah. The terrain is messy. Like Mm -hmm. just regardless of all the things, it's just a messy in between time. It's fascinating being on the other side and Mm -hmm. watching it. It is. It's infuriating sometimes and fascinating. I feel like I've gotten to a place. So my oldest is going to be 20 next month. And I like her so much. Like we just really enjoy each other. And it's so nice after so many years of just what is happening right now. And like really like having to trust, like there's a different few, like this is temporary. This is temporary. We'll get there. We'll get there. And now we're here. Mm, And it feels really good. It feels really good. 
This podcast is sponsored by Factor. Are you old enough to remember TV dinners? They came in those tin trays and each part of the meal had its own little compartment. I remember eating those and watching Happy Days, followed by Three's Company, maybe a little Laverne and Shirley. I am that old. Well, the situation has been totally upgraded by Factor. Factor makes delicious, ready-to-eat meals. And unlike those quick meals of the past, every meal from Factor is fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including meals that are calorie smart, protein plus, and keto if that's your thing. Also, there's more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. In my last order, we got red chicken chili tamale bowls and Italian sausage pizza casserole, as well as other delicious meals that my family loved. Plus, there's breakfast and smoothies and all sorts of other add-ons to make life simpler while also keeping it healthy. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. They've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Right now, head to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use code joyful50 to get 50% off. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50 to get 50% off. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence Whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Well, but I think that's a great perspective and a great point, too, is that our focus should not be on all this blind compliance and obedience, Mm -hmm. because then these same parents, when I ask them what their parent goals are, I want to be able to have my kid as a friend when they're an adult. Mm -hmm. I want to have them set up for success or be happy, fulfilled. And I'm like, well, a lot of what you're doing doesn't pave the way for that. If you're nagging and lecturing and grounding, why would they want to be your buddy at 18, 19, 20, 25? Like it doesn't, you just can't flip the script and just switch it and say, okay, I've been hard nosing you this whole time. And okay, now let's be buddies. Let's go shopping together. Right. I think we have to set up the foundation for a good relationship by having a good relationship early on. Right. And it's so interesting. Can we just geek out on this a little bit for a minute? I just want to bottle this. I'm always looking for better ways of articulating this, but it's like, even when it's hard, 
even when they are continuing to do the things that you are like, you know, you're using all your tools, you're curious, you're validating, you're meeting them where they're at, and they're still doing the things. But I try to remember, and what I finally, after being dragged through a lot of stuff, finally landed on was like, okay, who we be while they're moving through the things is going to determine a lot about what the relationship is going to look like on the other side. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard, right? It's really, it's really hard. And we're going to talk today specifically about teens with ADHD and how to help parents tease apart, because this shows up, I'm sure it shows up for you, how the ADHD is presenting in their teen and doing some scaffolding to support them. What are some of the questions that the parents that are coming to you who have teens with ADHD are currently asking? So a big part is the impulsivity. Is it normal for my teen with ADHD to be this impulsive, to be this messy? They're lazy. They don't want to do anything. They're unmotivated. The impulsivity is a big part of it. It's like speaking out of turn, not thinking before they speak, rolling their eyes, having an attitude. It's all that stuff related to dysregulation. And so an overarching theme I hear is just dysregulation of thought, emotions, behaviors. Mm -hmm. And because they don't see it consistently across the board, well, they're able to read for hours or play video games for hours. Why can't they just clean their room? Why can't they just get up and go to school? Well, there's different levels of motivation based on how much their brain is being stimulated. So, yeah, I think I see that the most. I think is the impulsivity, the lack of organization, the lack of motivation in starting things, and the regulation. I think those are the biggest ones I'm probably seeing the most. Yeah. And hearing and what they're asking about the most. Yeah. I'm hearing that from my clients with kids. And it's so great for me as a parent coach to be talking to somebody who's got way more expertise around ADHD. So I get to learn in this conversation as well as the listeners. So thank you for that. You're welcome. And I'm hearing, you know, especially when we talk, it's so interesting, right? Because it it is that like, but wait a minute, they're doing the things in this domain, but they can't seem to get up and do anything in this domain. And the word lazy shows up, Mm -hmm. right? And so what are some of the biggest misconceptions would you say that parents hold about their teens with that who have ADHD? I think they think it's about willpower, that they are lazy because they don't have the willpower. And they have to really understand that it's about the executive functioning. ADHD is an executive functioning dysregulation disorder, which means their executive functioning skills, Everything that's controlled by the prefrontal cortex is dysregulated. It's off balance. It's overheated. It's underdeveloped, understimulated. It's all those things, which means you're going to see inconsistencies in different environments with different people at different times. And it's not predictable. So there may be times that at school, they're totally motivated in this particular area, or there's like the citizen of the year. And then Mm -hmm. they come home and you're like, okay, are we talking about the same kid? Because their attitude at home is ridiculous, but everybody thinks they're like amazing at school. So that dysregulation of behavior, thoughts, and emotions, again, will show up because of ADHD. It's not predictable in all sorts of ways. So laziness, which I do not like that word, it's not about laziness. The problem is task initiation, which is an executive functioning skill. Mm. And task initiation with ADHD is one of the hardest ones for them. And I've read a couple of articles that talked about how it's physically painful 
for individuals with ADHD to start something. It feels painful for them, especially if the payoff is not immediate, if it feels overwhelming, if it's too big, or if they feel like there's no end in sight or that's perceived that way. So starting something feels horrible. So yes, getting up to take a shower, to brush your teeth, take care of any hygiene, Mm -hmm. (laughs) to clean your room, to start the homework, like any of that task initiation, starting is hard. And procrastination and perfectionism go hand in hand because they Mm -hmm. feel like, well, if I can't do it right, or if I'm going to fail, then why start at all? So then I'll just put it all off. Or if the task feels too big, I just won't start at all. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, I just can avoid failure if I don't start. Well, you're failing anyway if you don't start, but at least it's on my terms. Right. But it's really hard. And so I think that parents need to, the big misconception is that they actually don't want to do well, but they do want to do well. Dr. Ross Green talks about that. Kids do well if they can. And it's not that they don't want to do well. It's that that executive functioning really gets in the way of it. And they feel bad about it, which is why some of the most common co-occurring diagnoses with ADHD is depression Mm. and anxiety. Because they're fully aware by their teen years that now they have this ADHD diagnosis and it's impacting how their parents and teachers talk to them, how well or not well they do. And so I think it's a big misconception for parents to think, well, they're just being lazy on purpose. They're just trying to ruin their life. No, they're not. They're actually not. They're very much aware that it's a weakness of theirs and that it's a skill set that they haven't developed yet. Yeah. Well, and I hear a lot. They just don't care. They just don't care. They don't care about school. They don't care about. And so, and I would love your feedback on this. So one of the things that I invite parents to do with their, especially around school, right? And this might be short-sighted if you're talking to a teen of ADHD, or maybe there's another way to tweak it. But one of the things, because I feel like parents hold so much energetic responsibility, like I have to help them get a good grade, or it's like, it's all their job to make sure they do the homework, make sure they show up to school, make sure they graduate. And I really want to encourage parents like, no, you get to hand over. That's not your job. It's their job. And I mean, you get to scaffold it, you get to support, but to think that it's your job to force them to do the things isn't supporting them in learning life skills. And one of the questions that I invite parents to ask their teens is, you know, are you open to summer school? right? Do you want to, from a very neutral, non-judgy place, but like just getting kind of like, what's going on with you? Do you want to graduate with your class? Is this important to you? And then moving backwards from those questions. But I wonder with a teen who has ADHD, if those are too broad stroke or what a better question would be for those kids to support them and figuring out what it is they need to move through that task initiation challenge and and support them with the executive functioning to get to, are they thinking about where they want to be? Can they look in the long term and then make small steps in the present? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think there's a few things. One is the question I really like to ask and encourage parents to ask their teen with ADHD is, if something is hard, it's hard to start my homework, it's hard to turn it in, it's hard to get good grades, it's hard to study, well, what's hard about it? Tell me what's hard about it. And I think that's a really helpful question because it really gets them to stop and think, well, it just feels like it's too much or it's too overwhelming or there's too many steps or I don't get it. 
or whatever it is, like you can really start to determine what exactly is hard about it. So Mm -hmm. then you understand where they need the help. Do they need extra tutoring? Do they need a smaller classroom environment? Do they need a different teacher? Do they need a different type of learning environment altogether, like a different type of school? So when we can look at that and we know what's hard about it, then we can figure out how to best support them. The other thing too is with the ADHD brain, their thinking and their sense of time is very skewed. They think more in terms of now versus not now. So if something is not due tonight or at 8 a.m. tomorrow, it's not due. (laughs) 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 Right? So that's why they often work well under, well, quote unquote, well. Right. They work better sometimes under pressure. And there's a project due 9 a.m. tomorrow, and they're asking you for poster board at 10 p.m. the night before. Mm -hmm. Because if they have two weeks to do this thing, well, it's not due now. So then they just put it off because there's no sense of urgency. So what I like to do from a practical perspective is create that sense of urgency. And that's why I do things like encourage them to do like timers. We use the Pomodoro technique where they set a timer for, say, 20 minutes. And for 20 minutes, you do nothing but that. So you work on your project for 20 minutes. You write your essay for 20 minutes, whatever it is. Timer goes off, take a break for five. Mm -hmm. Or you have this huge math thing that you got to do. Yeah, you have to do 50 problems. Just do 10 Mm -hmm. and then take a break. Mm -hmm. Then do the next 10. You have 500 pages to read. Well, you have seven days to do it. Let's divide that up. Let's just read 50 pages tonight, whatever it is, and really divide it up so they have that sense of urgency. And especially with that timer, it really helps because it makes them feel like, oh, I only got 15 more minutes left. And it creates that sense of, oh, it's due now. Mm-hmm. And it really lights a fire under them. So we have to create artificial ways of that urgency so it doesn't feel like it's so far out and it's just for the now versus right. the not now. Well, and those executive functioning skills Are they something that, I mean, the ADHD brain versus the neurotypical brain, they're in development in both places, right? Are there different things that need to happen for the ADHD brain to support them in developing those skills? Or is it just a matter of smaller steps? Yes. What's the difference between the development and the two different kinds of brains? So- For two, the say you have a neurotypical versus the neurodivergent brain. So with the ADHD brain and compared to a kid who's developing typically and doesn't have ADHD, both of their brains are underdeveloped. Mm -hmm. Because they're teens. Right. Yeah. So until the age of 26, when our prefrontal cortex is fully grown and developed, the frontal lobe is fully developed, both categories of kids have underdeveloped brains. That's just a fact of the matter is. Mm Mm-hmm. However, some people, just like with ADHD, may do better in some executive functioning skills versus others. For example, I had a teen that I saw in therapy. She had ADHD, 12 years old, significant ADHD, but she was the most organized person ever. She organized my office when she would come in. She organized her parents' house. Like She was so organized. She did not lack the executive function skill of organization, although she had ADHD. What she did lack was emotional regulation skills. She lacked impulse control in terms of reacting, which affected her friendships. So she had other things that were deficient, she was deficient in. Mm -hmm. So the major difference between the two is just that 
well, the similarities, they're both brains are underdeveloped. The problem with the ADHD brain, however, it's also understimulated. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So it's an understimulated brain, which means when their brains, for example, and in the ADHD kid or teen gets a message, for example, they're in class, the teacher's talking and their brain is telling them, dude, pay attention. The teacher's talking and they have an attentive type ADHD, for example, their brain, it's like the workers are looking outside the window, eating some cheese sticks, and they're getting messages from the factory to pay attention. But because they're understimulated and they're not paying attention to the cues, the messages are piling up in the inbox. And then when they're finally like, dude, pay attention, they're like, oh, snap. And they're now looking in their inbox and look at all these messages I got about paying attention. And now it's too many messages because now I've gotten all these messages. Which one do I pay attention to first? That's prioritization. How do I get myself out of being yelled at? That's problem solving. You know, mm-hmm. how do I organize things based on first, next? That's organization, planning. So then they just freak out, cuss right. out the teacher, walk out the room, whatever it is. Yeah. Right. Peace out, deuces. And because it's too much because their brain is understimulated and not getting the message in the time and in the way that it needs to. And so they're deficient in that area and that's why they become dysregulated. Now, however, people need to also remember that you can also have executive functioning challenges and not have ADHD, Mm -hmm. right? Right. So with the ADHD brain, it's just that it's understimulated and so it's chronically having issues with it and it's harder to learn these skills. That's why there are some people in our field in psychiatry and psychology who don't believe that you can actually teach executive function skills. You just need to just medicate these kids mm-hmm. because these are skills that cannot be learned. They have to be medicated. I don't believe that. I believe there's a time and place for medication, mm-hmm. but I believe the reason why they're called skills is because they can be learned. <laughs> right. Over time with practice. Yeah. Lots of practice. Lots of practice. It's just harder for these kids to get it, depending on the type of ADHD they have. Yeah, lots of practice with effort in an environment that is celebrating them. I remember from when you were on the Adolescent Mental Health Summit and you talked about something that I'd never heard of before. Neither of my kids have ADHD, so I'm not super, you know, I don't have all the lingo, but you talked about rejection sensitivity dysmorphia. And I was so interested in that. Will you talk about, because this, I just imagine this getting in their way at such a deep level as far as like, are they feeling encouraged enough to lean in and do the practice? Or is it just like, you know, screw this. Everybody hates me. So talk a little bit about rejection sensitivity dysmorphia and what that is and how it shows up and gets in the way. Yes. So it's rejection sensitive dysphoria. Oh, thank you. Yes. Because it's dysphoric (laughs) mood. And it's a term that it's not an actual diagnosis, but it was termed by Dr. William Dobson at Attitude Magazine. Okay. And I really think it needs to be in our diagnostic manual (laughs) because what he said is that he has seen, and I've seen various statistics, but really as a high 99% of individuals with ADHD are estimated to have rejection sensitive dysphoria. I mean, that's like almost everybody. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) yes. And I have found that really with individuals from little kids all the way up through adults who have ADHD, that they struggle with this. So what RSD is, it's basically saying that when these individuals 
feel criticized, corrected in some kind of way, and they perceive rejection, they receive slight, some slight in the way that they receive the feedback, that they either explode and lash out, becoming angry and feeling like I can't do anything right, or they pull in and shut down and become depressed or anxious, people pleasers, because nothing I do ever works out for me. And individuals, I found that it's really very common with individuals with ADHD because they already feel like they can't do anything right. They're always getting corrected. They are trying to do their best and they just can't do it because their brain gets so easily overwhelmed because it's getting overstimulated and overtaxed. And so they tend to feel bad. So the examples I've given is like, you know, even you have a kid who struggles with math and, you know, they had a test. So they come home from school. Like, hey, buddy. How'd your test go? I know you were struggling. Fine. You know, you think that I'm you screw up. You know, I know you're glad that I failed. <laughs> I just asked you about your math test. Mm-hmm. And that sensitivity to the perceived insult causes them to overreact because they already feel bad about themselves anyway. And so you questioning and even saying, I knew you were struggling, they misinterpret that as you think I'm a loser. You think I'm a failure. Mm. when you're just trying to check in on them. So these parents often feel like they're walking on eggshells, like little landmines, like, okay, can I get a list of these words that are triggering you? Mm -hmm. Because they're so sensitive to this rejection or this insult that everything becomes problematic. And I also see it with kids who are very highly sensitive to their environment as well, kids who are depressed, who are anxious. So I don't think it's just reserved for the ADHDers. I think it also is individuals who just struggle with mental health issues as well, too, because they're perceiving the world as unsafe, as dangerous, as out to get them. Critical. And then I can't do anything right. Well, and once they become 15, 16, 17 years old, I mean, that's an entire short lifetime of message received. Like, I know I'm the tough one in the classroom. I know I'm the one that keeps the teacher busy with me. I know I'm the sibling that you know, everybody's mad at all the time. So I can't imagine that at some level, you know, and they're great perceivers, not great interpreters, Mm -hmm. you know, that at some level that becomes internalized. And yeah, I get that. Like they're just expecting the criticism, expecting the judgment. And then we work with parents and say, you know, get curious with them. Or I say, this is what I say, you know, ask Mm -hmm. ask questions, get curious about that. And then they're like, whoa, the questions really set my kiddo off. I feel like this really is a piece of information that can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. How do we talk to our kids with ADHD about rejection, sensitive dysphoria, about executive functioning, about like what are good openers to have the conversation from a place of just really neutral, we're on your team, no agenda place? Yeah, I think... We should always start by really just educating them. I find a lot of teenagers that I see in therapy and parents that I've met with in parent coaching, they haven't actually spoken to their kid about their diagnosis. They assume that they just know what it means to have ADHD. And there's lots of information about ADHD online, but a lot of it is not very accurate or user-friendly when you're reading it. So just because it's common, it doesn't mean they understand it. Mm-hmm. Because kids like, oh, he's got ADHD. Look how hyper this dude is. Or he can't right, pay right. attention to save his life. He's got ADHD. So it's, it's done in very kind of cryptic, very general ways. So 
I think it's important to talk to your teenager about their diagnosis. Like, hey, you know that you have ADHD. We got you diagnosed at seven. Do you know what that even means? Mm-hmm. And really finding out from them, what are their thoughts? Have they heard of other people in their class that have had it? What are some of the questions you have? Do you know that there's three different types of ADHD? There's ADHD and attentive type. There's ADHD hyperactive impulsive type. And there's ADHD combined type. Are you aware of the kind that you have and what that means? Mm-hmm. And really explaining that to them mm-hmm. and talking to them, breaking it down, saying, This is why we got you tested back when you were however old, because we were concerned about this. Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. You're not brain damaged. There's nothing wrong. It's not related to your intelligence. It's a way of how you process the world. Mm -hmm. And it can be a big strength when you're aware of it. I think when it becomes a diagnosis like this become a weakness, it's because they're seeing it as all bad, that it impacts my functioning. And it does. But when you're aware of how it impacts your functioning, you can use it for good. Mm -hmm. There are so many adults that I've worked with with ADHD that they got diagnosed as an adult and they're seeing how the diagnosis actually helped them. Many ways it hindered them, but it helped them in terms of giving them energy to get their advanced degree or their business, or it helped them in terms of their creativity, or they're able to think outside the box in creative ways. They're the life of the party. They're fun to be around. My kids, they have a principal at their school. She has dyslexia and ADHD and the kids adore her. She's at every event. Mm. She's so fun. She's chatty, chatty, chatty all the time. And she can relate to the kids who don't behave properly, quote unquote. Right. And she's relatable. And so I think all of those things really helps in terms of educating your teenager, in terms of their diagnosis, giving them the language, helping them to know what it means so they don't feel like it's something bad, that it can be something really good if they're aware of it. And I see that all the time when someone is aware that this is their diagnosis, whether it's medical or psychological, and they are equipped with the information, then they know what works and what doesn't work. Just like if you're iron deficient. I remember when I was pregnant with my second, I was iron deficient. Okay, what do I need to do so that I'm not passing out on my way to work? Right. Well, I have to increase this and I have to do this. And once I was aware of it, I was able to change that. And I think it's the same thing with the ADHD diagnosis. In order for it to be seen as a strength, they have to be educated on it so that they can know like, okay, how do I tap into this so that I can be better at task initiation or organization or planning? Right. And does the ADHD brain have the capacity to recognize like, okay, I got a list and I'm noticing I don't want to get off the couch, of course, because this is hard for me. I'm in my task initiation deficiency right now. So... To help myself, I'm going to, like, is that kind of how you support people and like like, growing that self-awareness when they're inside the situation? Yeah. Yeah. Inside the situation. Yeah. And absolutely. Because self-awareness is another executive functioning skill. And that one is super hard because it requires a very mature developmental brain in terms of like knowing, like it's called metacognition. It's knowing being aware of what you know, knowing what you know, and knowing what you don't know. So knowing that if I'm sitting on the couch and I have this big thing to do and I'm eating some chocolate and watching my fourth, <laughs> you know, binge episode on Netflix, then I know that, okay, I know that I'm doing this because I'm probably avoiding, right? Because I'm avoiding this project because I know I feel overwhelmed by it because I don't know where to start. That's my task initiation and I feel overwhelmed. So I know in starting a task, a skill or a strategy that works is body doubling. Call a friend over, tell them to come over. Body doubling is basically having someone present 
And with an ADHD brain, some often just having another individual present while you do the task actually creates motivation. So I know that about me now. It's huge. Hold on. That's huge. Especially when we're talking about teenagers and we're talking about schoolwork and parents are like, I don't want to sit there, right? While they do the thing. And what I'm hearing you say is like, this is a powerful strategy for them. This isn't an enabling thing. This isn't a... Yes. It's body doubling. I learned this term from coaching with Brooke on Instagram. She and her team are fascinating in terms of just everything they do with ADHD. But what I learned from her is this topic, the strategy called body doubling mm-hmm. and what it is. And I knew this with before I even knew it, because when I was in my doctorate program or my residency, when we would do testing to see if someone had ADHD, the results would be different if we stayed in the room with them versus if we left the room. Mm. There's one uh, computer-based test that is called the Connors Performance Test. And what it is, is 14 minutes and is a black screen and different letters pop up at different intervals. And they have to press the space bar for every letter except X. And it really shows whether they're impulsive or whether they can hold back their responses. And it's a, mm-hmm. it's just one of the many tests that they do. And if we stayed in the room behind the teenager or the kid while they were doing it, I often noticed that they performed better. They're mm-hmm. more attentive. If we left and we were watching them through the one-way mirror, they were like looking all around. Oh, shoot. And clicking the space bar. Mm-hmm. So distracted. Or they would forget they were even taking the test. So just your presence made a big difference. So that body doubling concept is that even if you're just like, you know, working on some bills, paying some bills online, reading a book, and you're sitting there while they do a project, that in and of itself, your presence can help them with cleaning their room, Mm -hmm. with starting a task, with finishing a task, because it's something about you just being present. Or even having, I've had teens where they just had a friend FaceTiming a friend while they clean their room. Just having someone else there with them while they do it can make a big difference. So, but they don't know that that works if they didn't know that there was a name for that, that that's task initiation, that's self-monitoring, that's organization, that all the different executive function skills, if I'm aware that these are my strengths, these are my weaknesses, then I know what works for what thing, and then I can do them. But I think that education is so key in building that self-awareness so they can move to action and actually build that skill. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? 
If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Well, and I'm thinking about how important it is for parents to have some kind of outside support just around the ADHD stuff for their kids, like a coach or a therapist or somebody that's going to be, you know, because I want, listen, parents, everybody who's listening, like we're not sitting here with PhDs about this. And I know, you know, in my work too, when I talk to parents with kids who have ADHD, I was just talking to somebody yesterday and I am quick to acknowledge, like you're the expert on your kid. Like I'm sure have deep dived and done some learning, but it feels like there's really no end (laughs) there's no like, okay, great. Now we know everything. And so we're going to help our kid, especially when that was at seven years old. And now you've got a 14 year old. So I'm just sitting over here thinking about how important it is for kids to work with somebody who can support them with all of that. And then I'm also thinking about how challenging it can be to get a teenager to show up to something like that. Right. And I'm sure you have the range, right, of kids that show up in your office who are like, great, I am here for it. Tell me what to do versus like arms crossed, scowl, my mom made me come. (laughs) And do you have any tips for parents who are really seeking out like an executive functioning coach or an ADHD coach or somebody for their kiddo? Not so much the seeking out part, but then the invitation to their teens to really use it. Yes. I think that finding someone, having your teen be part of the process and finding someone together so they can see their providers or the coach's profile picture, their bio, what they do, looking at their TikToks or Instagrams, like having a sense of this person. Because then by the time they show up on screen or in your office, they already know Hmm. who they're getting and what they're getting into. And I find that when parents have reached out to me and they've done that, their teen is they're asking for the service and they want to be there. And so it's really easy to get them engaged if you engage them from the start. And I find that if you can present it to your teenager, not as a problem that you have with them or that the teacher has with them, but what is inconvenient about these symptoms for them. Mm -hmm. So you have a hard time starting projects or controlling your emotions, or, you know, not going off on people, making friends, doing well in school, whatever it is, what is inconvenient about these things for you? What would you like to change? How do these things and these lack of skills get in the way of you being your best self? Because if you present it as your dad and I are just sick of your behavior, we're ready to send you to a coach. That's Mm -hmm. your problem. That's not their problem. Mm -hmm. So it's really important, whether it's a mental health issue, a medical issue, ADHD issue, it's really about presenting in it for the child, for the teenager, what is inconvenient. And I often go through like an inconvenience review. And I first learned about this years ago when I used to work a lot with Tourette's and tics and hair pulling, trichotillomania, like a lot of those kinds of behaviors. 
And because they would come because parents were freaking out over this child's behavior or their hair pulling or their skin picking. And how do I get them to stop? Because it's embarrassing. It's gross. It's, it was inconvenient for everybody else. I'm like, no, no, no. How is this inconvenient for you? And we would do an inconvenience review. So when you pick your skin, when you pull your hair, when you're doing these ticks, what is in, oh, it's embarrassing. It hurts my neck. It makes me miss a good line in a movie. Like, Mm-hmm. These are things that it's inconvenient. I don't like that I can't style my hair that I want. It's it's really important to present it in a way that it's for them. Yeah. Because then you can get buy-in as opposed to how is it a problem for everybody else? So I think how you can get them involved is like, what do I want for me? What's my goal for me? I'm choosing this person to help me. And then, yeah, you can get good buy-in and they'll be on board and they'll yeah. make good progress because they're invested. Well, and I also have to highlight, like, chances are not, well, I won't say across the board, I won't do the broad stroke, but a lot of parents that I've talked to with kids with ADHD, it's been a massive power struggle for so long. Like, they're just entrenched in a power struggle. So the first thing is going to be, you got to dismantle that, right? You got to own it, you know, acknowledge it. And then I think there's, you know, and then it might even take a little bit more time. I'd love your thoughts on this because it's like kids have really good bullshit radars. And if Mm -hmm. we're just giving them lip service, like, I know we've been in a power struggle. Let's talk about how inconvenient this is for you. Like, you got to be real and authentic and own your stuff so that your teen can let go of this idea that here's my parent telling me again, I'm not enough and trying to sign me up for another thing and instead really help them hold this is for me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think, like you said, be genuine about it. Don't just rattle off a script if it's not in your voice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's not going to be helpful. And acknowledge where you've screwed up. Mm -hmm. You know, I know in the past I've been down your throat. I've been sneaking, looking at your phone. I've been all up in your business. I'm Mm -hmm. always, I'm getting on you and I'm being very hypocritical. Like own your place in the mess and, you know, letting them know that I want to do things differently. I want to respect your space. I want to respect where you're at, that you are struggling. And I haven't appreciated that. And I apologize for that. And I think then joining them in that struggle, joining them in that resistance, if they're like, well, that's stupid. I don't want to go see no stupid coach. Yeah. It could feel dumb. It could feel like it's one more thing to do. I get that. Like, join them in that. Yeah, yeah. And I really find that I've worked with some very resistant teens. And I've found that when you can join them in their misery and you can frame it as what is in it for them, they will get on board. Mm. They will. Mm. Because I've even had parent coaching sessions where I've asked parents to bring their teenager to the session so that I could talk to them about the things that are going on And for them to vent about it and for them to have a healing moment between the two of them, because they know their parent is being seen by a parent coach. Yeah. And talking about like, yeah, well, they've always said they're going to change and they never change. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So I think it's really important to show your commitment, to show, to own it and to really let them know that, yeah, I'm, I mess up like you do. I don't have it all right either. And I think that shows that we're not hypocritical in expecting them to do certain things. And then we don't do it ourselves. Totally. Oh, that's so useful. Thank you so much Mm -hmm. for that. What do you think parents living with teens need most? Any teen or a teen with ADHD? Oh, teens with ADHD. Let's stay on topic. Thank you. (laughs) Probably fits for both, right? Yeah, I think it probably fits for both. (laughs) I think, let's see, what do they need most? I believe 
they probably need most a shift in their parent mindset. I find that that's always at the foundation of most of the work that I do because when parents show up wanting a bunch of strategies, I'm like, let's hold up on the strategies because lots of strategies work for lots of stuff. But if we don't understand where our mindset is coming from, that you need all these strategies, because honestly, a lot of parents that I meet with, they've listened to all the podcasts, Mm -hmm. they've read all the blogs, gone to all the summits and conferences, read all the books. They have the strategies. They know they've read more books than I have on parenting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it's not more strategy that's going to help you. To me, it's really changing your mindset. And that really applies to lots of stuff. If you're in debt and you need to change your mindset about money or change your mindset about your relationship or change your mindset about work and careers, that's what leads to long lasting change. And I think the same applies to parenting that it's really about adjusting your parent mindset and really understanding that their behavior is not personal. It's not an affront against you, although it feels like it. Yes. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And then most, I think what they need, parents need the most is to understand the reason for the behavior. Mm -hmm. And I've seen so many parents, they'll come from the initial parent coaching session and then come back like a week or two later and think, oh my gosh, things are so much better. Really? Already? Like, how is that possible? Because the parent mindset And when they understand what's driving the behavior, Mm -hmm. when they realize that it's not that my teen is lazy, it's that they struggle with task initiation. When they understand that, what happens is the teen's behavior doesn't change overnight. Their understanding of the behavior changes. So that way, when they speak to their teenager, rather than speaking to the behavior, they're speaking to the needs behind the behavior. Buddy, I know that it's hard for you to clean your room when it's such a big tornado feels like it's gone on here. I was the same way when I was your age. Mm-hmm. So let's see, how can we start this up? Why don't mm-hmm. you start by with your books and I'll start with your dirty laundry. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Okay, go ahead and pick up your papers. I'll bring a trash bag in and then I'll pick up all your hangers. Like when you can speak to the need and understand why they struggle, then you're not grounding them for something that they still don't know how to do. Right. And expecting that the grounding is somehow going to teach them to do better next time. Oh, right. I love that. Exactly. I'm all about belief behind behavior. That's something I talk a lot about. And I love that piece around to not take it personally when we understand better mm-hmm. what's happening under the surface. Yeah. And oh it's so gosh. hard because it takes so much humility oh. and so much patience because in the moment you feel offended and you want to attack and you want to because you think you're letting them get away with things or other people are judging or your own family's like, what you need to do is... Right, right, right. And it's like, you're missing the whole point because those things aren't teaching anything. Right, right, right. So that's another piece, right, listeners, is you get to stand for Mm -hmm. what feels good to you and what is helpful for your kid and not let all of those outside influences. I went through that same thing when... My daughter was struggling with mental health and I literally had to put certain family members only on text message. Like I would not get on the phone with them. I had to protect myself Mm -hmm. and my daughter because I, even though I, on one hand, felt like I have no idea what I'm doing, but I am following my heart and I'm following my gut and it looks a lot different than it would look if somebody else was in charge here. And so I need to just quiet that down and tune into my own inner guidance system so that I can be who I need to be for my daughter. So if Mm -hmm. you need to do that, parents out there, do it, Mm -hmm. right? Set those boundaries. Oh my gosh. And Louise, I could talk to you for a million hours. I wish we were in a room together and we had the whole day. (laughs) 
Uh, thank you so, so much. Is there anything else that you want to make sure that you offer up to listeners before we wrap up? Mm, I think I want to remind parents that the reason why they probably feel so frustrated and irritated and impatient and exhausted is because they're having to be the frontal lobe substitute or surrogate for their teenager with ADHD and frontal lobe executive functioning challenges, which means you're basically you're their crutch, mm-hmm. your scaffolding, your all the skills that they lack, you're having to do it with them or for them until they can themselves. And I think that if you can appreciate and understand that that's why you feel exhausted, and I think it makes it even harder if you as a parent struggle with executive functioning challenges in certain areas that your teen also struggles with, or that you also have ADHD, whether diagnosed or not, that you're exhausted because it's exhausting, because you're having to do so much self-control and hold back. And that's just on a normal parent day, not just tagging on ADHD. And it's such really remembering that it's all a training ground and parenting is for the long haul. It's a long game and we're building skills and developing habits. It's just constant skill building. And that's why you feel so drained. And I think that parents need to remember that's a big part of the process. Mm -hmm. And I think if you can really appreciate that, then you're not questioning, are you doing something wrong? What's wrong with my child? No, you're not doing anything wrong. It's just hard. (laughs) It's hard. And so it's hard to maintain your words and not impulsively go off on your teen when they're not guarding themselves either. So yeah, so I just want to reassure parents that parenting in general is pretty hard, but when you have a kid with ADHD, it can feel very, very tough. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing you all out there listening right now, hoping that you feel seen and heard through this conversation for sure. All right. My last question that I ask everybody is, what does joyful courage mean to you? Hmm. I think it probably means being brave enough to show up even when it would be expected for you not to. (laughs) That when things are just hard and people would expect that you would just be in that corner, curl up in a ball, crying yourself to sleep, and you joyfully and gleefully show up anyway and put in the work and know that you can get through it. And you can still rest too. That you have yeah. the courage to know when to push through and knowing that you also have permission and the courage to know when to rest. Mm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Where can people find you and follow your work? So they can find me on my website through my business. It's a new day sa.com. That's my practice in San Antonio. And I, we offer a therapy for those living in Texas as well as parent coaching and life coaching. So if you need executive coaching, we have that as well for the executive function skills. And they can also find me on Instagram at Lockhart. And I offer lots of parent strategies and reels and videos and resources and find out information about my courses through my website as well, too. So, yeah. So there's help out there and there are resources out there. And I want parents to know that they don't have to do it alone. Yes. And listeners, go to Dr. Lockhart's Instagram because not only is it super informative, but it's highly entertaining. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I love your Instagram. All right. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and giving me your time and your expertise. I'm so excited to get to share you with my community. Thank Thank you, you, Casey. (laughs) 
Yay. All right. Thank you again for listening in to another show. Please check the show notes for any links mentioned in this episode. If you liked what you heard today, will you do me a favor and share it? Screenshot the show, plaster it all over your socials so that other parents know that we are creating value over here for them. If you really want to earn a gold star, head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. This does so much for the show, for the exposure. It's a great way to give back. Thank you to my team at Sproutable for all your support. Alana, Julieta, I love you so much. Thank you to Chris Mann and the team at Podshaper for keeping the show sounding so good. And you, listener, thank you for continuing to show up. This is hard work that we're doing. I encourage you in this moment, in this moment together, let's take a deep breath in and follow that into your body. Hold it for a moment. Exhale. And with that exhale, release the tension. And I invite you to trust. Trust that everything is going to be okay. I'm so happy to support you. So glad to have spent time with you today. I'll see you next week. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.